When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Get ready for the most listened-to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Balls. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Cowboys. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington. Sitting across from me, rubbing his head, is the one and only Evan Grant. Hi, Evan. Yellow. He's doing great. And joining us on the line now uh, is uh, David Moore. David, are you out at Frisco? I am out at Frisco, but let me get a clarification. You said Evan Grant in yeah. the studio? Yes, I did. Evan Grant. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's unusual. <laughs> it is a little unusual. It's great to have him in here in the studio. He's usually out gallivanting around. You know, he's the bon vivant of the uh, of the Sports Day staff. So it's, uh, mm. it's oh yeah, it's great to have him in studio. That's that's what you always say every week when he's not there. <laughs> David, don't get me in trouble here with Evan because you know he he's not listening to the podcast if he's not doing it. So we we, we can get away. With, yeah, well, he can get away with all that kind of stuff when he's not here. Yeah, I don't care. Oh, Evan, Evan, don't be that way. Oh, ambivalent, Evelyn. You know that sounds a little bit like that last. Cowboys preseason game against the Cardinals. We don't care. We don't care. Oh. There's a lot of we don't care out there. Boy, that was that was abysmal. Can uh, can we now do away with the the dress rehearsal game about how important it is to get to uh, preparing for the regular season and and that's how that's the farewell to uh, the preseason where you get your starters all together and. Get that one last feel-good moment so you can have some positive momentum going into the season. Yeah, that's all a bunch of bull. It's all Isn't bull, it? David. So, so you know, uh, now Jerry Jones uh, says that uh, he can fix this by having 18 regular season games and only two uh, preseason games. Of course, uh, I don't think that the union's going to be for that unless they can be shown they're going to make a whole lot of extra money that way. Well, and not only not only go to 18 regular season games, but it'll actually be safer for the players. There'll be fewer concussions in an 18 game regular season, game regular season than a 16 game regular season, based on the CTE research done by Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. I was going to say I don't know, I don't know about Jerry's science on that. <laughs> it's uh, well, I tell you what, I mean it's. 
uh, you know, th- this has been floated for a while, and and certainly from uh, if you if you take the safety questions out of it, uh, which I understand you cannot, but let's remove that for a second. I think everyone would agree that a product that features 18 regular season games and two preseason games is a better product for fans uh, and would be more meaningful for uh, players and coaches. Now, that being said, if if the NFL believes this is something that should be done, well, how about taking all of that money from the two additional games and pouring all of that exclusively into the player's pocket versus a split? Have the owners keep where they are on the current system in those two additional games. Basically, all of that goes into uh, the pot to be split among the players. Now, if the owners are really serious about that and, and serious about health concerns, maybe that's a possible solution. Yeah, I don't, I don't see the owner, owners ever going for that. Can you imagine Jerry Jones ever saying, you just take all the money? I don't think in any yeah. any business deal he's ever done, he's never yeah. said that. But it, the thing that they would have to do, to me, you can't just say, even if you give the players a better split on the on the last two games, you're going to have to expand the rosters. I, I just don't see how you can you can play two more games and keep the rosters at the size they are now. And and I think certainly the players... Well, you'll have to expand the roster, and you'll have to go to a 20-week season. Minimum. You, you would have yeah. to go, have at least two bye weeks over the course of the season. Yes, you would. Uh, that's absolutely right. And, and I, it, to me, that, that would be interesting to see if that did happen, the impact on rookies at that point. Uh, you're going from playing 12 games and maybe 13 games to playing 18 games uh, in a season. That's a, that's a huge jump uh, for, for a rookie to do. So I would, I would expect that they might have a lesser impact at that point as well. Well, let's play more college football games and give some of that split to the owners. Oh, there we go. I like yeah. that. Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's do that. In well, high school too. Don't forget that. Yeah, let's back it all the way. Up. Let me let me ask you a question. What would be so wrong with two preseason games and a sixteen game schedule? Yeah, that's what that's what I say. How about we just do that? I mean, what would be the issue with that? There would not be one. Uh, the, well, the let me tell you, I know what the coaches. issue would be. It's two less tickets that owners can sell. That's absolutely well, yeah, right. Two, yeah, it's one less home game yeah. uh, for the owners, which they, what they've already factored in, so they would view it as a loss of revenue. Uh, but I would also say you could reconfigure that and make up that loss of revenue. But plus it gives you another date where, you know, most of these stadiums are multi-use stadiums now anyway. If you're losing a preseason game, you know, Book you two in there. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's uh, there, true. there are other booking things to do to, to recoup the money. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Listen, I, I mean, I, I go through this on again. I go through this on the baseball side too. The with with today's modern athlete, the need for this like extensive preseason, whether it's baseball in thirty games or football in four, is not necessary. The reason that we have a 30-game spring training schedule right now is because you've got all these places in Arizona and Florida that have booked two teams, and they are guaranteed 30 dates that in, in order to like facilitate the building of these multimillion-dollar facilities. Um, with the NFL, there's no reason to play preseason games three and four. There just isn't. I don't think there's any reason to play any at all. I mean, if, if college football can do without it, I don't understand why the NFL can't do it. 
you know. Well, because the NFL is going to milk you out of as much money as it possibly can. That's all it is. Uh, Well, you know. Well, when they view it too, this this is. I think they also view it too as a as an avenue to showcase their games for an in-game experience for fans who otherwise wouldn't be able to go. Because look, face a lot of companies own these tickets, and what do they do? They give away their preseason tickets to employees. And they're not going to give away their regular season tickets. So you do have a, a certain segment of the fan base, I think, that's able to go to these games and have an in-game experience that they wouldn't otherwise. So that, that's another peripheral reason why they do it. But the bottom line is, is financial, no question. Yeah. That, was, that fan base wasn't looking too good at the end of that game the other night, was it, David? <laughs> no. Many of them seem to have left before the end of that game. Yeah, I think they were fairly disgusted by that. So anyway, David, what are we to take away from that? As we going into the uh, the last preseason game, what are give me your three uh, biggest concerns for the Cowboys at this point? Because the last concern. preseason game is going to tell us so yes, much. That's right. It's going to fix that all. We up. just spent five <laughs> minutes talking. About- um, I would say still, and, and we've talked about this, and and there's no need to dwell on it again because we've talked about it a lot, but. Uh, especially with the injuries they've had at safety, the, the Errol Thomas question and, and possibility slash probability looms even larger. Um, it, three things. Here are three things I think going into the season that this personnel department needs to sort through. One, are they going to jump in and get Errol Thomas or not? Two, are they comfortable with their backup quarterback going into this season? Or do they feel they need to do something there, either waiver wire or trade? Three, are they comfortable that Joe Looney can start at center for a significant part of the season and they just pick up a backup off the waiver wire? Or do they have to be a little more aggressive, uh, maybe find a center out there who they feel better about to trade and come in to start and have Joe Looney as the backup center entering the season? Those would be the three things I would point to. Yeah, on that last point, uh, who was it that just traded for the Bills center and gave up a seventh-round pick? Uh, I, I just read that yesterday, and I can't remember who it was. Somebody somebody traded well, for uh, a center. Well, yeah, I think Minnesota did. And they, uh, actually, I think they traded with, uh, with the Giants. Was it so the I don't think that the Giants. Yeah, I don't think the Giants were going to trade a center to Dallas. So I will. No, I will no. give them the pass on that one. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. Minnesota, Minnesota went out and uh, uh, picked up a center to, to plug into their offensive line. But yeah, so I, I think uh, so. Now you're sitting here, and over the next ten days, you're going, okay, can we accomplish all of this by simply taking who's out there on the waiver wire, or are we going to need to be more proactive and, and make some trades here? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think those are all great points, and and uh, and especially you know about uh, uh, what they're going to do and uh, what they're going to let slide. You know the 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 backup quarterback situation. I've always you know been a uh, you know especially when Romo was still here, and and uh, there was no question that they needed to have somebody there, not only just because of his injury history, but because he was an older quarterback and you needed to be developing somebody. I, I find it to be less of an issue for me now, I guess, because, uh, you, you know, Dak is so young uh, and, and he's a big, healthy guy. Um, but if you believe this team uh, has real chances to go deep into the playoffs and Dak gets hurt, uh, I think you probably do need a, 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 a veteran quarterback to bring in 
at, at least for a couple of games that you feel like and can kind of steer the ship along a little bit. And if you don't think Cooper Rush is capable of doing that, then uh, then uh, then you probably do need to make a move. Well, Dak is a uh, again uh, a big bigger quarterback. Uh, he hasn't shown any injury history to this point. That being said, uh, and look, I think he's a very smart runner. He doesn't take needless risks running, and he doesn't look to run at first opportunity. It's really kind of a last resort. But uh, how often do you see him flip up in the air in the end zone? How often do you see him? Right. Uh, like I said, I think he has a really good feel. He slides and avoids a lot of hits in the open field. He knows when to go down. He knows where the first down is. And once he gets it, he's not looking to needlessly prolong the play for an extra two or three yards. I mean, he'll get down. That being said, he's going to run, what, 65 to 80 times a season. Yeah. He's going to run five to six times a game. Uh those are five to six opportunities in the open field where no matter how careful he is and judicious he is as a runner, he's exposing himself uh, to getting knocked out for the remainder of the game or a game or two. So, yeah, I mean, they have to be pretty confident. And I think they were pretty confident going into this camp uh, about Cooper Rush. Now, where are you on your reassessment of that? I I will say, one, certainly you had a look anywhere near as good as he did last season when he played his way onto the roster out of nowhere. But two, I will say, you can't judge him too critically because here everyone agrees, oh, don't put Dak Prescott out there behind that (laughs) offensive line against Arizona. You can't afford to do that. Oh, we're fine putting Cooper Rush out there. Oh, look, Cooper Rush didn't look good. Yeah, let's get him killed. Yeah. uh, uh, Aside from the uh, humanitarian hypocrisy of it all, uh, just judging him. And, and look, he hadn't had a lot of the top receivers out there either. Or, or uh, Zeke he, he Elliott. Had a little bit. Yeah, he had it a little bit this last game, but he hadn't had Elliott, and he hadn't had uh, the, the primary receivers out there. So, And he had a, a, a work offensive line. So, yeah, he had a lot of that last year, which is true. Um, but he hasn't looked as good. He hasn't looked as sharp. But I, I don't Internally, at least at this stage, there's not uh, an overwhelming concern about him taking a step back this year. Uh, uh, we'll, you know, we'll explore it a little bit more today with the uh, the Cowboys at this practice. See how we grade it out and uh, get some get some uh, idea about that. Yeah, that that I would, you know, to my experiences and and then uh, looking at NFL quarterbacks and especially young ones is is that. Most of them are pretty good behind a, a good offensive line. Uh, it, it's when you are, are starting to get a, a rush in your face, and then uh, then everything changes very quickly. So uh, I would expect that uh, I, it would be a lower priority for me. Of the things that you, that you mentioned, of the three, I think the clearly it's probably third. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that's third, and, and clearly to me, the Earl Thomas is the number one thing. I just feel like that is such a a, a no brainer at this point. It's something that you're you're thin at safety to begin with. You're, you'd be adding a guy who, by the way, uh, when the ESPN rated its top 100 players on that list, uh, of course, uh, the, the three uh, offensive line stalwarts were all on there, as, as was Zeke Elliott, who came in at number 11, I believe. And coming in at 28 was Earl Thomas. Mm, well, that, that's nice to know. Well, it 
is nice to know. It's a, it's a, he's a he's a he's a he's uh, a that's what kind of talent. That's how he's regarded, and I think he's that good. Yeah, because Buzzfeed lists are... but this young secondary and what they've seen from the defensive front seven in this camp, I, I think it's I think it's encouraged them. You know, some people would say, "Oh, well, they feel so good about this defense, uh, they're less inclined to do it." I've always been of the ilk. I know we've wanted to use that word on the podcast before. Absolutely. Ilk, yeah. I'm but ilk. I, I'm just I've always been the ilk, and I'm probably misusing that word here, but that they would, the better their defense looked in preseason, the more likely they were to go with Thomas because they would feel that, you know what, this defense, maybe this defense can be special. He's a guy who can who can uh, cover up a lot of mistakes our young secondary may make our secondary is playing more aggressive uh, paying more, you know playing up on the line more uh, we want him to do that he can he can uh, ease any mistakes that are made there he can teach this young group and now suddenly we go from a very good defense to maybe we are a, a defense that can actually impose its will in some games and it's been a while since this Cowboys defense has been able to impose its will. I think they've had some decent defenses, uh, but 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 it's been a long time since they've been able to impose their will in portions of the game. And and I think they feel with what they've seen so far in camp that you know what Thomas could make this one of the better defensive groups in the league. Yeah, that you know the thing that's different about the Cowboys now for me is that the, this linebacking group, if Jalen Smith uh, continues to play like he has uh, played in this preseason and, and like he has looked, it's the best linebacking group that they've had in a long, long time. I'm talking, you know, even back in the glory days, they didn't really have a crew like this. They had Ken Norton, who was a very good linebacker, but uh, you know, as, as Brad Sham said, he hasn't seen anybody as as explosive at linebacker for the Cowboys since Hollywood Henderson, and you're talking about the 70s then. So to be able I'll to – I'll tell you what, I think Joe Thomas, the veteran they brought in, looks really good this preseason. Uh, you know, he's brought in as a backup, and he was kind of safety in the, in the nickel if Jalen Thomas did improve, but Jalen Thomas has improved. And now at this stage, you're actually going into the season, it's like, you know what, Van Der Esch has missed some time here, your first-round pick with an injury. He's not going to be up to speed to start the season. It doesn't matter. You can just plug him in, and he's kind of the fifth or sixth linebacker to start the pre to start the regular season. And you don't feel you're missing anything at the moment. You can let him get up to speed, and then by the end of this year, they should be really good. Is, is it okay if I speak now? I was going to ask you a question, Evan. Let me ask you this question. Yeah, because see, this is the point when people say about adding a guy like Earl Thomas. Why would you do that now when the team, the defense, already looks pretty good? It's the same reason you do, Evan, and it's true that the that the Rangers. Did not go out and add a, a starting pitcher now because they're not good and they're not going to be good. And so, when no, I mean if you if you've got an opportunity to take a defense from pretty good to elite, um, especially in, you know in the NFL, I think an elite defense can carry you into the playoffs with with an with an average to below average offense. Um, and I think the Cowboy offense can be better than than just average. Uh, but if you've got the ability to create an elite top tier defense, yeah, you, you do it. And, uh, you know, clearly the Seahawks are rebuilding and clearly they're waiting to see what the, me- the best, uh, return they can get, uh, for this is in terms of a, in terms of a draft pick. And, and I expect as we get down to setting final rosters, you know, the, the this will, 
there's too much smoke there and, and too much reason for it to, to happen, for it to not happen. Um, but, but my question at this point is um, we've had Kevin's weekly segment on I Like Earl Thomas. Yeah. And we've had the always, always energizing backup quarterback conversation. Yeah. Um, we haven't gotten into the Randy Gregory situation yet. Okay, well, let's talk about Randy Gregory. What well, I, I want to talk about the process a little bit um, because what happens with Randy Gregory will happen one way or another. And 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 David, again, just I mean, if 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 there is if there is something there uh, at this stage in the process. Well, then let's talk about what it is that you're talking about. All right, you're, you're yes. about the, I, I, well, that's what I want to get into. But there was a report. There was. I, I would not call it a report. At this a point. tweet. There was a tweet, and 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 I think this is what I want to get into is a little bit of the making of the sausage of of, of news of, of news reporting. But uh, it was Jason Lockonfora, I think, that during the game tweeted, hearing there might be more trouble ahead for Randy Gregory, and that at this point in time is the sole. Um, foundation for any of the speculation about Randy Gregory, correct? Correct. So, David, let's let's go into this for a second. I, the idea that I mean, we all use unnamed sources. We all um, we all have to do that to some extent in this day and age. But uh, I'd like to get your thought on on the idea of of, of a tweet that. That doesn't a doesn't explicitly name sources and b doesn't talk about what exactly the trouble might be. I've got a real issue with with the reporting of this. Whether it's accurate or not, to me, doesn't end up being a defense. I, I think that in a situation like this, if you're talking about a trade, yeah, you hear some gossip and you can and, and, and there's a difference in in reporting what you're hearing. I think if you're reporting about a, a player and an addiction issue, um, a, a life-changing uh, element, I think that there's a little bit more responsibility there. And I, as a veteran NFL reporter, I, I wanted to know what like your reaction was when you see something out there reported this way. Well, let me say first that the that Randy Gregory and the Dallas Cowboys exist in a world where. They are waiting for the other shoe or urine sample to drop. Oh. Uh, there is no other way to go about it. I mean, this is this is the world they live in. Uh, this is how they're going to proceed. And, and I will say, look, hearsay and innuendo is not does hearsay or or innuendo does not mean whatever you say is inaccurate. It could be, it could be, but usually the standard on that is with hearsay or innuendo, you monitor it, you take the time to see uh, if there's a little bit more to it, and it doesn't resonate the same way it does with someone who is in recovery. Because if you drop innuendo in recovery, People go to the worst-case scenario and assume it must be, oh, another failed test or this is something else that's going to come up. Um, so, yeah, I do think it's, it's different. And uh, I also think that Randy Gregory, for the rest of his career, uh, this is what he's going to have to face. 
Um, and, and this is another thing that makes it so difficult, recovery so difficult for people, is the emotional uh, element of it, that they feel that they now have are judged by a different standard than everyone else. There's a perception that they're, they're going to screw up again, is how I think people who don't suffer from addiction would phrase it. And that people are just waiting for them to uh, trip again and make another mistake. And everyone assumes uh, that, well, if he doesn't talk on this or, or you know, this, this is going to happen. Uh, just for an example, let's say, uh, and again, I think that's another thing that's very difficult for people to recovery to deal with because suspicion about your ability to say, stay sober often strips away the joy and the accomplishments that you have. And uh, I use this as an example. Uh, if I, I think this tweet was a reminder of what faces Randy Gregory and the Cowboys going forward, uh, no matter how long that is. It's always going to be there because let's say in, in game two against the Giants, he has three sacks. Everyone's raving about him. And then that night, someone happens to see him at a club, and they think people around him in the club or are interesting substances they should not do. Well, now suddenly uh, you cast doubt on him going forward. So whether whether it was going to happen after the third preseason game, the second regular season game, the ninth regular season game, uh, it was going to happen. Innuendo was going to uh flare up into something more and that that's what we're dealing with here and it's not is it fair no but it's a, a realistic uh, landscape of what lies ahead for him david remind me now yeah. i believe that the uh originally you know uh, three strikes and you were out uh, you you cannot get is it didn't they change it where for marijuana use you you could not be uh you wouldn't be banned for life well, it would be what would happen would be he's in stage three if he if he misses or uh, test positive again, he would be subject to another indefinite suspension. Right. Now, I will say that this is where this is where you get into the uh, the actual program itself and whether it's it's punitive. Or, or actually more of a rehabilitative model. And many of the people I've talked to believe it's a, an outdated model that emphasizes uh, punitive measures over rehabilitative measures. But I will say for a player who has missed, who has been suspended for 30 out of 32 games over the pre- previous two years, if something came up and there was a negative test or a missed test, that did not even allow him to get to the regular season, the league would not, it would not be an indefinite suspension of, okay, well, you'll only miss a game or two here, and then let's talk about it and come back. It would be, uh, it would be at the level it's been before. You're looking at a season or more, there's no question, yeah. in my mind. Because then it's a PR, then it becomes a PR issue for them, which also I don't know is really part of a healthy rehabilitative model. But uh, we've seen how the NFL operates, and, and that's how they would go about it. So, um, and, and look, here's the other thing too. You know, some programs allow for um, a lot of programs. My understanding is allow for a certain percentage of a slip. Um, and, and let's put it in this context. And we do know uh, up to this point because he's still playing. Randy Gregory has been sober since December. 
So let's say if it wasn't an NFL program and, uh, and there was another individual in the program who'd been sober for seven, eight months, um, and then they had a, a slip of one night, and it was and it was a relatively minor slip. It wasn't a bender. It was a, you, know, you couldn't deal with something. There was an emotional trigger. Uh, you went back to old habits. Uh, you realized it stopped immediately and then went in and said, hey, look, I screwed up. Um, in many rehabilitation programs, it would be, okay, let's look at why you did this. Let's go with this. It's, you still work through with the program. Uh, the NFL program at that stage would be zero tolerance. It would be, you know what, you screwed up, you knew what the consequences were, you're suspended again. What do you, what do you think the, the Cowboys would do? If he were to be suspended again and for the entire season, would, the, would Jerry finally say, okay, that's enough, or would he still try to bring him back? Well, that, that's an interesting question because I, the Cowboys are talking about a lot about it now, but they have in the past. They, they find this current uh, recovery program and model antiquated, and they feel it doesn't actually reflect the best-case model uh, that, that uh, most institutions use today. So I, I think... While they would be frustrated because they would consider it a flawed program, uh, at some point, if you're still operating under that program and that program's not allowing the player to return to the field, um, do you throw up your hands? They wouldn't be throwing up their hands with Gregory. They would be throwing up their hands with the program. That being said, the the actual impact is you're impacting the individual. So I think that'll be I think that'll be very difficult for for Jerry and the club to work through. Uh, but you can't continually put your team in a position of bringing a guy back. He's here for a few weeks, and then you lose him again. So you would have to factor that into the equation as well. Yeah, I don't know how much Jerry ever factors into the equation, all the other things that he does that uh, that uh, put the team at risk uh, just because he, he, he thinks the, the reward is always worth the risk uh, in Jerry's case. David, sure. we're... Hey, let me say well, let me say one other thing on that real quick. Go I, ahead. I, I always think this is a it's a fairly good example too, and because I know people uh, get frustrated with like, well, how can these guys? Uh, why would these guys put their career at risk? This is just stupid. You know, they have no impulse control and all this, and and we're dealing with some mental issues here, mental health issues, and and things that trigger the substance abuse rather than the substance abuse driving the train. But all of that being said, I, an example I like is, is uh, I think that illustrates it is, let, let's say you left your car out in June when that hailstorm came through and there were 50 dents uh, in your car. Well, you go and you don't have the money to, or the time to fix all of them, but you fix 35 to 40 of the dents. Well, you still have 10 to 15 dents in the car. Now, you made progress. It looks a whole lot better than it did back in June, but it's still not complete. And I think that's what people don't understand when they're looking or they're judging people harshly who are dealing with addiction issues, that they do, a lot of times, they do make progress, but there are so many issues to work on, maybe you just don't notice it from the outside. And and everyone who has been around Randy Gregory, says he's addressed many, many of the issues that he was dealing with, but that doesn't mean he's addressed or has a uh, has a handle on all of them. Well, 
I just want everybody to know you can get your car on down to David Moore's Hail and Dent Repair. <laughs> if you got 30 dents, he'll take out 15 of them for half price this week. For half price, and then Kevin... Kevin will paint over the others. <laughs> that's right. We'll get back on the road. Woo, doggies! Yeah, let's go. Well, I um, <laughs> I think we we need to on the hail and dent repair analogy. I think we need to call it a, a morning. Call it a morning. How can we turn anywhere else from there? No. That's why I threw it out there. I was hoping it would end this segment. It's an ender. Yeah. Uh, but David, <laughs> we appreciate you talking about the Cowboys as always. We're sorry that you can't join us on our Rangers and on our college podcast, in which we're going to have our good old pal Tim Brando is going to come on. Mr. Milk Toast. Mr. Yeah. Mr. I don't got an opinion uh, is going to come on and talk to us a little bit about college football. Well, I, I don't know that he's going to talk about college football. I think it's basically going to go like this. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on Urban Meyer? Uh, yeah. That might go a little while. <laughs> that might go a little while. Well, David, have a good one out there today. If anything happens, call it, call in and break in and give us some breaking call news. Call in. Call in. I'll break in on that uh, on Tim Brando. I'm sure he'll That's right. That. We'll be on the air all day, David. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, David. If you want me, maybe hopefully I'll be in studio next week. So. Oh, beautiful. That'd be great. Oh, and I'll be here too. What a thrill it will be for all of us to be here next Tuesday. I'll bring I'll bring the cake. If you uh, just send a car for me, that'll be great. The car, yeah, right. David, all right. thank you, sir. There he goes, David Moore. Thank you. We, I, I want the like clapping um soundtrack uh sound sound effect. Applause. Clint, clapping. Uh, yeah, I thought you were going to say a clap trap. Um, the clapper. Yeah, the clapper. Oh, my God, the lights just went <laughs> Everything off. Everything just went off. We shut off the whole newsroom. That was David Moore talking about our Cowboys and uh, and what's uh, happening there with that group. I don't think that uh, we've learned a lot in this preseason uh, about this team. I don't think we don't learn hardly anything except that people keep getting hurt. Uh, so uh, And, and uh, suffer terrible illnesses or so, uh, at any rate, uh, that is our Cowboys podcast for today, and we will have a Rangers podcast uh, in which our guest will be uh, Evan Grant. And our guest will be the co-host. Be the co-host, yeah. And then we'll also have, as noted, our college podcast with Tim Brando. So be sure to be checking in on all three of those this week. And uh, from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks and goodbye. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.